Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. Now, this is a really interesting episode. We have special guest star Karina Mendez Cunningham joining Benji and myself as we discuss this topic of what is our relationship with our sexual organ. Now, in most circles, the people that you hang out with, if you bring up this topic, you're going to get people at least raising their eyebrows, if not falling off their chair or running in the opposite direction. Or if they're brash, they might speak about it, but in a very crude way, in a very detached way. The reality is that this area of our body is where the future of our species emanates. It's where lineage comes from. It's where all of your DNA is connected to the future. It's where your love is made manifest. All of these things happen, and yet we don't really have an overt expressed feeling about this area of our body, of our life. Your sexuality is inherently connected to this part of your body. So it's really important to develop a healthy functional relationship with it. That's the first half of the conversation. The second half of the conversation that we're having here is about sensuality. Now, this is extremely interesting. It's from a conversation I had with Karina, and she got it from this book called Unwanted, which we highly recommend reading. And in this book, it talks about how sensuality is actually a prerequisite for the enjoyment of life itself and how you shouldn't even begin to pursue sexuality until you have sensuality on your side. And that's experiencing life through your senses, not sexuality, but sensuality. And because of the perversion of our sex, sensuality is inextricably linked to sex. And we think that somebody being sensual is wearing a skimpy dress or something like that, but it couldn't be further from the truth. So I really feel like this is a really fundamental episode foundational episode that we should all really participate in the understanding of these two concepts of first what is my relationship with my sexual organ and second what is my relationship with my sensuality and again we're going to disconnect sex from sensuality for this conversation so that you can understand the benefits and the necessity of learning how to balance your senses in a natural way so let's get into it Welcome back, everybody. We have a special cast of characters today. We have Benji, who you all know and love, number one in your heart, number one in the program. Oh, yeah. And we have special guest appearance. What's your name again? (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Karina here. So Karina is here. And this, we want, I wanted to invite her because I had a conversation with her. And I was like, whoa, you know, you, for some reason, high noon, we're always working on different stuff. And we don't stop and just talk a lot. That's one benefit that Benji and I have because that's the purpose of the podcast. Mm. But you and I got to do that the other day, Karina. I was like, I learned a lot. And so you brought up two things and I want to start at the very beginning and we will all share our thoughts on it. But the first thing was this idea that we talk a lot about sex and our relationship with sexuality. What about our sexual organs, our penis or our vagina? We don't actually have like an emotional relationship with something that is the vehicle for everything, for creating life, for the substantiation of our love, like for so much. And so I just wanted to unpack that. I want to figure out what your relationship, you guys, mm-hmm. and have you ever thought about this? And also, what would it look like to have a functional relationship with your sexual organ? It's just like a topic that I've never heard of before. It's like, yeah. how's your relationship with your sexual organs? Like, <laughs> nobody's ever asked me yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. 
one year ago, Chinoon collected so many words of true parents about God, sexuality, and the sexual organ in a book called Core of the Universe. If you haven't read it, please read it. Oh, interesting. Mm. <laughs> plug, 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 plug away, away, young lady. Yeah, and Trufado talked a lot about the value of the sexual organ and how incredible the sexual organ is and how it's the center of the universe, center of the of our body. And when I heard about that when I was younger, I was like kind of creep about it. Like, mm -hmm. this sounds so weird. Why? Right. But in my experience, when I start to understand those words deeper, and actually understanding the value of the sexual organ in an emotional way and connecting and uh, creating a relationship with my sexual organ, kind of like the whole sexual experience, not only as a married person, but as a single person, just like being a sensual sexual person, uh, single, it changes. It changes because you understand it's different. It's different when you have a connection with your sexual organ, understanding that it is something special. It is something that you can create a relationship with. I don't know if that's something that you guys can relate with. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. Honestly, until we started talking about this topic, I have never, I don't think I've ever thought about this, <laughs> this, like how to have a relationship with your sexual organs. So I'm here just to, to talk and, and learn from you guys. So yeah, so I'm late to the party, right? Just because I didn't grow up like this. But I, now that I'm raising three boys with three little dinglings, we talk a lot about it. It's like a daily topic of conversation because it's there and boys always do inventory on their business section. They always check to make sure it's there. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about it. We laugh about it. But we also have serious talks about it, about like who's welcome to touch it, who's who's not welcome to touch it. Like, well, what's the purpose of this thing? And the older they get, the more you can have deeper conversations. But it's all, you're building a story that's creating a feeling about this thing that you have in you, on you. And so that feeling is based on your concepts. And so with them, I'm just trying to teach them what I've come to learn, which is like this thing can be a great healing device or a great divider and cause a lot of pain. And so the actual sexual organ itself is a representation of how you think and feel. It's obviously an appendage. For guys, it's an appendage. I don't know. For girls, it's... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of boys just think that girls, if they know that they don't have a penis, they're just like, they think of them as the people that don't have a penis. They don't think that the vagina is its own thing. But I don't think it's an appendage. An append like, it doesn't stick out. But guys have an appendage that's just skin and veins and stuff. But it's what it does that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think just you made me think about what the conversations I have with Kojin, which is awesome, Andrew. Cool that you guys talk about that kind of stuff he has all these questions about, because we talk about sexual organ and, and lovemaking and sexuality and stuff like that. And he is really curious about why men are different from women and why we need to take care. Because I talk about this stuff, feel like we need to take care of our sexual organ. And I talk about well, how holy it is and stuff. And he's like, but why? Right? Because that's how kids are. And I was like, interesting question. So the simple answer that I gave him when he was three was your wee-wee is the most important part of your body. That's why you need to take care of it. And he's like, why? Well, because that's where you came from and you wouldn't exist without your mommy's wee-wee and my wee-wee. <laughs> so to a three-year-old, that made sense. So it's like, why is it the most important part of your body? Because that's where your children will come from. 
And that's how you will experience the most amount of love in your life. So that's why you got to cherish it and take care of it. And that's both of my kids, my son and my daughter. That's their paradigm for thinking about their wee-wee. I don't know why we call it that. And we probably shouldn't, but it's just what it's called. Well, in my case, I didn't have those conversations with my mom. So I remember I discovered self-stimulation very early. Like I was five, so young. At the age of seven, I told some friends from the church and they encouraged me to tell my mom. So I went ahead and I told my mom about it. And she didn't understand. She was like, oh, it's fine. It's normal. Like, because I didn't know. I was explaining to her with my five year, like seven years old vocabulary, what I was doing and what I was Mm -hmm. experiencing. And she didn't understand. And then we took a nap. And before the nap, I showed her what I did. I do, you know. And she was like, no, Karina, your sexual organ is very important. And that, what are you doing? She didn't say bad, but you're not supposed to do it. Your sexual organ belongs to God. And then, I don't know, she kind of like got scared, I guess, for because of seeing that. Poor my mom, I understand her too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she, in my mind, I was like, okay, I should not talk with my mom about it. Okay, this is close. And after that, we have never, never talked anything about it again. But by that point, I have already discovered self-stimulation for two years. And I never thought it was wrong. I even remember going to a sleepover and like, oh, what are you doing, Karina? Oh, this is something I do before sleeping sometimes. Oh my God. <laughs> Just to clarify, like a simulation, where you're not thinking a five years old doing like a full <laughs> simulation, but and so that it created that habit, and yeah, it was really hard for me to say, okay, why this is wrong, why I should stop, or all that, and as why I started to mature, I understand that my sexual organs are holy, are important, so that I don't wanna, I never connect with porn, I never watch porn, so that didn't con- was connected with external stimulation, although sometimes like a scene of a movie will encourage me, right? Uh, so in my process of trying to develop a healthy sexuality, when I mature and I was like, okay, actually, I, I think it's time for me to prepare for the matching and I don't think this habit will be good. And then why? And I was like, why? I need to a reason why. And then finally, the true parents words about like, oh, your sexual organ belongs to your spouse, click to me. And it's like, okay, if this is my spouse's sexual organ, then if I'm doing this by myself, then I'm kind of being selfish because I'm the only one feeling the pleasure and not him. Maybe when I was younger that I didn't care so much, but at that point that I was trying to prepare for the matching, I was like, okay, this is something important to work on. And then I started to kind of think about my sexual organ with a personality. Okay. Uh, Hi, Karina. <laughs> basically, then it has a character and personality. And one of my best beautiful experiences has been like just in that moment of urge, like praying, uh, saying to my sexual organ, I know that you want to meet your spouse, but we need to grow a little bit more. There are things still unresolved in our lives. Let's focus on that and we'll have the best experience because I know that I didn't want it to connect it with shame. And that's something I 
grateful with my experience that it didn't connect with shame because I never thought it was masturbation. <laughs> I never connected with masturbation because it wasn't hardcore or anything like so. I never connect. Oh, this is masturbation. So I never had the vocabulary to explain it and or understand it. So there was no really shame involved on it and it was a very natural process where I started to create this relationship with my sexual organ like hey darling you're so loved your spouse is gonna come soon we need we're working on that you know and uh, connecting it with God how God is feeling this moment and all that and I'm very grateful for my experience as a single person and I found that like it was pretty healthy for me especially transitioning as a married person afterwards with that point of view and that's why one of my pushes in high known is through known or these programs or lessons is to actually create a healthy relationship with your sexuality especially when you're single when it's a moment when we can create most shame and kind of like negative feelings towards sexuality because we cannot experience it through the full term right sure so i just want to recap that karina was saying that she when she's feeling temptation she would actually pray to her sexual organ (laughs) which is kind of bridging the gap between god and her sexuality and saying hey i know you're excited about the future spouse situation and one day but the time's not right kind of thing. And that's, you know, to be honest, there's like a saying that we have because of true parents, this idea that your sexual organ is not yours, it's your spouse's. And whenever we give that talk, I feel like people resonate with it on an intellectual level, but it's so hard to actually make real, to actually feel like that's an important reality because you're basically swimming upstream. Every other information that you hear your whole life is saying the exact opposite. But if you think about a salmon swimming upstream, why is it going through all this pain and suffering? To lay eggs for the sake of its lineage. So it really does come down to, at this point in history, there's so much counter momentum teaching us to be selfish about our sexuality. Literally brainwashing us in school from like very early age that here's how to do it and just to go have fun. Never about, oh, this is about something higher than yourself. So to find your own way to bridge that gap between your sexuality and God is a very personal experience, but it requires effort and which obviously you you did, right? You put in that time, so. It requires like a shift of belief, right? And if you believe that sexuality is uh, something physical for pleasure, then that's what you're gonna believe it is. But I know we talked that sexuality is our need for connection. And this is something that come out to me and it kind of helped a lot of people to understand as well that, hey, this need of connection, my sexuality that I have, this need to be one, to connect in, in oneness, is something that God have experienced too, right? If we experience this need, it's because God has experienced that need. And when is that when God experienced this need stronger? Was in the time when he was alone before the creation. He has to create, he was alone and say that he had a need of wanting to connect with his object partner. And that's why they start to use this energy, this need, this sexual energy to create the whole universe. So if you think about our sexual energy, like God's sexual energy as the energy that inspire him, push him to create the whole universe so he can connect in oneness with human beings. That's something amazing. And that's something that resembles our sexuality and changing the shift when we see sexuality as from, oh, sexuality, sin, porn, dirty, ugly, to like, oh, 
my sexuality resembles God's need for connection, for becoming one. And this is where I mean, I meant to be. I need, mean to connect with God. I mean to connect with my spouse, with my parents, with to be Chonin Gook is the, the, the translation of becoming one. So if we think about all that as our need of sexuality, as our need of connection, then we understand that we can actually experience our sexuality without going toward the physical experience of sex. That's only one part of our of our experiences experiences on sexuality. That's only one of the part of it, right? And changing our shift how we see our sexuality as only merely something physical towards something more spiritual and emotional is such a great even foundation for the future. Yeah. Angie, I, I was looking at your face and it seemed like you had a lot to say. I'm soaking it in. I'm I'm thinking about why is it that there are like Karina was touching on beliefs, right? There are different worldviews about sexuality. And there's obviously one camp of the world that believes that sexuality is not meant for someone else, but it's really for me. And it's totally normal and natural and healthy to explore yourself. And it's constantly perpetuated in articles and videos. And it's like, you can't even do a Google search about the risks of masturbation without getting an article about the benefits of masturbation. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, there are billions of people, communities of people, not just religious, right? We're talking about NoFap. We're talking about all those communities, millions of people that are fervently believe that they don't, their sexuality is not for themselves and their energy sexual energy is better used to create things and to give to others and to serve. So I'm wondering is like, how does that develop in someone? How does that very different worldview and belief system develop in a person? I think the reason answering that question is important is because we can help ourselves in having the conviction that my sexuality is for my spouse. It's for God. It's for others. It's for creating. It's for not just my own self. Like if we were to very, if I were to very simply try to define what absolute sex is in very simple terms, I would say it's sexuality. That's not just about me. It's about something bigger than just me. And I'm thinking about like, why is it that I personally have this fervent belief that my body and my life is not for my own satisfaction. And I think back to my childhood and the way that I was raised is that I guess kind of to echo Karina's experience a little bit. My parents never told me specifically, ex explicitly that any of this stuff, your sexual organ is for your future spouse or your sexual energy is meant to have a family and not just to satisfy you. Like they never talked about masturbation and porn, right? Until I discovered it on my own without ever knowing that it was a thing. Like I didn't know I had a name. I just, I guess just by curiosity experienced it. And then I remember the feeling afterwards was like, this is the worst feeling in the whole world. Like, I feel like a piece of garbage. What am I doing? <laughs> I think I was, I don't know the age, maybe I was nine or 10, 11. And I was just, I don't ever want to do that again. That was my thought. And I just felt like I was possessed by the devil. That was my <laughs> thing. I think I was just possessed <laughs> for a second. You're the most religious little kid ever. But the, that's the thing though. My parents never said anything like that. Masturbation is unhealthy or wrong. I just knew it in my core. I just felt like I don't want this in my life. But what's interesting is that even though the first exposure to that kind of experience was, for me, it was rather gross and like unpleasant and scary, the curiosity factor and the addiction factor kicks in and the chain link addiction results in me like being curious and then developing a dependency to the point where it's like, you can go multiple times a day soon after that. And then that's how addictions are formed, right? So I think if I had a different worldview, and then I didn't think that 
this was an issue and it was a problem and it's, it's fine, it's healthy, it's normal, then I would have, I think I would have created very strong justifications for it. And I would have very more quickly developed addictive behaviors and more intense and graphic addictions to porn. And I think that addiction would have escalated faster because the justification factor is really, really powerful. It's like, if you have that worldview that normal, it's fine, it's natural, what, what motivation or incentive do you have to quit if you're really, truly addicted to something? There's no incentive. And there's only incentive to make justifications for the habit. But for me, for some reason, I don't really know why. I just never wanted to, that to be part of my life. And I always wanted my sexuality to be for something bigger than just me. And I honestly don't know why. You were caught in a trap. I mean, we have a lot of people in our high noon world who are in a similar trap where they don't feel necessarily great about the decisions, but it's really hard for them to stop. And so I think that comes back to what Karina was saying. It's a shift in belief. And belief is not, I think a lot of people have a very loose interpretation of what a belief is. They think, I believe the things that I think. That's not a belief. Deeply held beliefs guide your actions. If you really believe that you can fly, you're going to jump off a building. <laughs> you know, that's what birds do all the time. They don't second guess. They're like, oh, maybe today I'm going to forget. But they know that they can fly. They have a deeply held belief. And so to transition your belief to correspond with your ideals, right? So I believe that my sexuality is meant for something higher than me. To really believe it isn't necessarily as easy as saying it. You have to kind of pull your actions to be in line with your beliefs and you have to hold on to your beliefs long enough for your actions to catch up. And that's the training. That's the discipline aspect of this whole thing that we're talking about. But you have to figure out what you believe, what you want to believe, your ideals, your hopes, values, these kind of things. And then you have to create habits that support that. And so that comes back to your relationship with your sexual organ. Again, in my opinion, it's not the actual sexual organ and what it's what it represents. And that is connected to your values, your beliefs. And I'm just running into too many young people right now that a part of them, maybe their weak little conscience, which sounds like this, oh, you shouldn't do this, is they kind of like this whining voice in the back of their mind. But the rest of them is screaming, go watch this. They haven't really created a strong belief that they can change their habits or that it's worth it. And that's a matter of belief. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. Yesterday I was talking with another sister and we were talking about masturbation and how hard it can be to be free of masturbation. Most women who join Ascend, they actually join for masturbation problems than for porn. Mm -hmm. Although there are still people who come with for porn problems. And I have a question for you guys. What is worse or what is worse for you? Masturbating through porn or masturbating thinking on your future spouse? I've been talking to somebody deeply about this. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing because it's about you. And porn is that much worse because you're involving actual physical people. 
And we know very clearly that people are just used and abused in this machine known as porn and they're spat out on the other end. And you just, it's like sucking their soul. So that's obviously when you involve other people in your selfishness, then it's obviously going to have more negative impacts. But in terms of a worldview, because this guy that I've been talking to, he has some very slippery logic because it's my spouse or it's my future spouse and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but it's not. It's a version of them that isn't real. And it's not really about their needs. It's about your projections of how they can make you feel. In a sense, way worse, because now you're coming to them with this preconceptions that you've solidified in this fantasy. And you're making yourself more selfish. And it's not bad. I always make sure to make it a point that this isn't about good or bad and like feel bad about your actions. Nothing like that. It's clearly a manipulation to make the world fit into something that serves you. That's what all fantasies do. It's like you're the God and everybody's there to serve you. And that's never a good thing. (laughs) So it's very slippery. It's a slippery slope because it all leads to the same place, which is selfishness. But obviously, like I said, when you involve porn into the mix, then it's as a whole quagmire of drugs and slavery and all sorts of heinous stuff that you'd never willingly want to be a part of. But you are inherently when you involve yourself with porn. I agree with all that, I'd say, especially with part of like, for example, if you're in the matching process and you are imagining that person through when you're doing masturbation. I agree completely. It's a fantasy of that person because you don't really need, know them. It's not really like what is happening, right? But at the same time, as a not as a transition, but for someone who actually had this habit for so long and have known that this is a way of releasing their pressure, the sexual pressure that they build up, of course, there are healthier ways. Masturbation is very selfish and it's immature, but at the same time, I don't know how helpful it is if we keep them in the same level of shame and feeling. People don't need to, people don't need to feel shame. Yeah. Making people feel like even worse about it. There's this concept of, oh, masturbation is a spiritual fault, for example. I think people don't need to feel shame. That's regardless of what the habit is, that's an option and that's a choice. So I think when people ask me that question, especially guys, as kind of a tangential, similar question is, is it okay to masturbate without porn? Like which one is worse, this or this? So if someone asks me that question, the first question I'll ask back is, why do you want to ask that question? Like what's, <laughs> what's the conclusion that you're trying to, no, honestly, like genuinely, yeah. because if someone has a dilemma in them, like I want to masturbate, is it as bad as doing this? Or another example is, is it worse to watch straight porn or gay porn? Pick your poison, right? porn is all degrading and all gross and all bad for you. So to answer the question about masturbation, you know, regardless of what is right or wrong, it's like it's a continuum. And what I tell people, someone is really, really face to face with a temptation or an urge to masturbate. Okay, let me ask you, is that something you want to bring into your life? Because technically speaking, if you masturbate once a year, is it detrimental to you? Probably not. But, and that's what everyone will say like all the medical outlets out there, WebMD, all of them, Healthline, they'll all say that. However, I think there are fundamental things that all these articles and people are discrediting and are not accounting for. Number one is that most people that masturbate do watch porn while they masturbate. That's a fact. One study I read is 75%. A whole three-fourths of people watch porn while they're masturbating. Or they use images of porn in their own mind that they have watched in the past. Right, but the reason that's important is because the reason that they develop an addiction is because when someone starts an addiction, they don't think in 10 years from now, I'm going to be the same. 
people who are, who are smoking 20 cigarettes a day weren't thinking 20 years ago when they started smoking, they didn't think they'd be addicted to nicotine or whatever. They didn't think so. And that's why addictions are formed. So it's a very slippery slope to say, oh, I'm just going to masturbate while I fantasize about my future spouse. I've tried that, guys. Trust me, from personal experience, it doesn't work because it's a slippery slope. So instead of doing that, I would encourage people when they're face-to-face -face with, with an urge, ask yourself, what is the person you want to be, the man or woman you want to be? And the danger of keeping masturbation or porn in your life a little bit is as long as it's a little bit, you're not living in integrity with who you want to be. So that's the trump card that I always, I always played or I encourage guys that I work with to play when they're tempted to masturbate or watch porn. And the trump card is, because your brain is going to tell you, hey, it's fine. It's natural. You've been really good for the last few months. You've been really good. You deserve a little bit, a little porn or a little masturbation. Never hurt anyone. You're not watching porn. The trump card is, the ammunition is, hey, a little porn always leads to more porn. And also, you're not living with integrity of who you want to be. Yeah. And if you have that ammunition, it's like something you can tattoo to your head and just say like, hey, I don't need that. I know where this leads. I've been down, the, down this rabbit hole before. So if someone asked me that, I'll be like, honestly, have you tried this before? How did it go? It's just like, pick your poison for me. And of course, it's like, yeah, you can, but do you want to? Can we take this to the next part? Because it's actually very much aligned, which is sensuality. Because the word itself, so this also came out of my conversation with Karina, the word also is typically linked to sexuality, sensuality, right? It's like, I'm feeling very, I'm feeling very sensual. And it's, it means sexual somehow. It's just conflated. But in all practicality, it actually just means to experience through your senses fully, to experience something more fully through your physical senses. And so... Karina, I would love for you to say what you said to me. I think you have a quote or something, right? Yeah, so it's from the book Unwanted, which I highly recommend for any person interested in these topics. And it says, if we do not feel the wonder of the flight of a hummingbird or an eagle or a descent of mint, how will we even begin to feel the stunning sensuality of sex? So I have to talk on this point because I can feel it so much. The American fast food diet is so laden with salt. It's got so much salt and addictive chemicals that what it does is it actually numbs your ability to taste the small, subtle flavors that we would normally be able to taste if we weren't eating these foods. Porn is so similar to your mind and to your heart. And same with drugs. Also, when you do a lot of drugs, it numbs you to the beauty of the day-to-day -day things that are all around you because you can't see the subtle stuff. You need these big, bold things that this is happiness, this is happiness. And same with porn is the exact same thing where you cannot find beauty in a, in a woman's, I don't know, from a guy's perspective in her earlobes or the fact that she has so many hair follicles on the back of her ear, like all these amazing things that make up a human being, you have, you don't give a crap because you're just looking for the things that you've objectified that stimulate you in a very big, obnoxious way. It's like the only music I listen to is marching band music at level 10, bam, 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 like Wagner. He just loud, obnoxious music at full blast you're going to become completely desensitized to all the the different timbres and the different pitches and all that because you just want loud and obnoxious. That's what porn is, is loud and obnoxious. And it makes you unable to experience sensually 
love, slowness. Men stop being when they when they're watching a lot of porn cannot be slow and kind and sensual during sexuality because they're not experiencing through their senses. They're just like boom, 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 you know, like just like a drill. It's pretty pathetic. It's a it's such a false substitute for the real thing. So sensuality is such an important thing. And that's something you can actually recondition yourself. Just like with food, if you stop eating really salty junk food, you can recondition your taste buds to start tasting more beautiful, nuanced uh, ingredients in, in different foods. Same with life. You can experience life anew if you do dopamine fasts, right? You stop watching so many videos on YouTube. You sit in, under a tree and you start looking at nature. You, you are allowing your senses to actually be able to experience life anew. Sorry, I got possessed, but that's really important. No, that's, that's great. That's great. Totally. And there's like one, one more quote from the same book that it resembles what you say, especially connected with God. It says, Every day, if we pay attention, God solicits us to simple experience of sensuality. As what you were saying, right? Whenever we stop being so obsessed or like not really rush and addicted to things, right? And we can stop and see life and see what experiences God has for us of sensuality. And that's another way of experience like sensuality, sexuality, and sex. There's the three connected. For me, absolute sex is the, is the middle of those three. Can you um, say them again, the three? Sensuality, sexuality, sex, and then God. <laughs> in the middle of those four, it's better than adding God just in case. In the middle of those four, there's absolute sex. And I feel like maybe as a single person, you cannot experience sex or you, you, it's suggested for you to not experience sex. But sensuality and sexuality some both things that you can experience connected with God in your daily life. And they are incredible, better training than any physical experience with your sexual organ you can have for the meeting, the time when you have actually sex with your spouse. Yeah, man, that's so real. It's so important. They say the worst sex that you can have as a married couple is just when you just have sex. <laughs> when you skip foreplay, when you skip the dance of compliments and whispering in each other's ears and massages and all this stuff that generates a sensuality through all of your senses, you're experiencing love through all the senses, then you can bring those all to the sex because they, they're all stimulated and that makes sex more three-dimensional. Most people are having one-dimensional sex at most. It's just about the actual intercourse or whatever, but it's not about all the rest. And that all the rest is all the flavor. It's all the miracle. It's all the wonderment that invites the senses and invites God so that it can be something greater than the individuals, individual parts. So that makes it romantic. And again, that's something that you can train yourself on and try it out. Honestly, you know, dopamine fasting is very in vogue right now because we're so inundated with media that we don't have any time. I was having a conversation with somebody and it really came out that we're talking about nighttime routines and the way that we eat, if you're always snacking, you never give your body a chance to process the foods. It needs to figure out what's nutritional and keep that and send it to where it needs to go and make the rest into poop. 
and then to poop it out. But if you're constantly eating, it overworks your body. And the same thing is true of our minds and our hearts and our spirits. We don't stop and meditate and pray and process. If we're just watching Netflix until we go to bed, then we actually are not doing that processing of how our day went. And it creates this anxiety. And we are never able to really experience life because we're overly full. We cannot get answers to our questions. We cannot experience all these things that we wish we could because we're too full. So to stop and process and experience life again allows you to be in a state of where life is exciting. And where you realize that everything that porn tries to be is so fake in comparison to really being stimulated by life. The stimulation that you get from sex or from porn, let's say, is very specific and is very pointed in one part of your mind and one part of your body. But to condition yourself to really experience food, really experience music, it's not even close to being as stimulating. And one is much more sustainable and it gives you life and it gives you ideas and inspirations. The other doesn't. It's very clear. Thanks to sensuality. There's a new word. Yeah, you're right, Karina. You were talking about sensuality before. And I just thought you were kind of like a nerd about some word. But actually, it's a word nerd. <laughs> an incredibly important term that we need to prioritize. Prioritize sensuality in our lives. Yeah, and you see how people think about sensuality. They think, oh, this person is sensual or not, depending on if they're wearing like sensual clothes or- Or if they're Italian. Clothes. <laughs> and but that's not the region of the word i don't know why we connected with that of like being provocative but that's not yeah. the region in sensuality sense is the main word there yeah that's wonderful we we got to wrap it up but the real main points were you know the first part of becoming more mindful and conscious of your relationship with, with your sexual organ you kind of went all over the map with that, but it boils down to the fact that if you want to believe that your sexuality is something bigger than just you, you have to hold that belief and practice the, the habits of living up to that belief long enough in order for that to actually come true, to be real. And it takes discipline. And the second part was that sexuality cannot be experienced without sensuality and sensuality cannot be experienced without, again, kind of discipline. You have to discipline yourself to not go for the easy, fake, cheap stuff because that won't give you, that's just big and loud and bold, but you miss out on the real beauty and you have to tune yourself into that. Do you guys have any last words? I'm going to go eat some 95% dark chocolate because that's how <laughs> sensual, that's how sensual I am. <laughs> Yeah, bro, get into it. I'm starting to, when I cook now, because I have a little bit more time to cook these days, really thinking about flavors, really thinking about what creates flavor, what you can add. I realized that onions and tomatoes, when fried together, they're meant to be, they're soulmates. They're cooking soulmates. And that kind of stuff is like, it makes you excited. It's the discovery that we hear about Adam and Eve, this idea of like, they're meant to discover. We're meant to be like that. We're all meant to be like that. So best of luck. What about you? Sorry, Karina. Uh, the first thing I did when I, we moved was to buy like a bunch of different uh, spices for food. So it's like, I'm going to discover new flavors. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like the, my last uh, thought here is that as food, we can discover new flavors and we can discover and we need to 
change our diet and our relationship with food. A lot of people who have overweight or who have addiction to food is because the relationship with food is wrong, has some problem. So when we have uh, an addiction with porn, masturbation, usually it's because our relationship with sex, our relationship with sexuality has something, a belief that is not making us good, has something that is not really doing it good for us doing it good for us so yes discipline is so important and it goes hand by hand with doing the internal work of discovering what is happening with your relationship and finding a healthier relationship with your sexuality because you're not trying to disconnect yourself from your sexuality you're trying to actually connect again with your sexuality with your original sexuality and having a healthier relationship with it so I think like those two are very important discipline and actually working on that relationship is so important because that relationship is basically your relationship with God and your future spouse too. It's all really good stuff. I hope we gave you plenty to think about. As always, reach out to us. Our emails are on the website. More and more people are reaching out to us. We love hearing from you. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Andrew Love here for one last announcement, and that is I encourage you to join our newsletter. We don't spam people. We give you the goods. We give you good quality information once a week in your email. And so we send out newsletters probably Saturdays mid-morning on average, and these are filled with blogs, the latest content, everything you need to know in order to get through your week with high noon light. So let us light up your inbox. Join our newsletter by going to highnoon.org. It's all right there. It's super easy. We won't spam you. We just want to let you stay connected to this high noon providence. So go to highnoon.org and sign up for our newsletter.